And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Professor Arnold has got a little history lesson for you today. It is Memorial Day, which is, of course, an American holiday. We observe that on the last Monday of May. We are honoring, of course, all the men and women who have died while serving in the U.S. military. And that, but I guess it was originally known as Decoration Day, and it was uh, originated in the years following, I believe it was the Civil War, and it became an official holiday in the early 70s. That's about as far as Professor Arnold can go with his history lesson. I should have paid more attention in school, but that's that's me. Anyway, uh, Dawson Muska will be joining me in the program in the second hour, along with Rebecca Ree, who is a Hebrew scholar. That's what's in store for today. So happy Memorial Day. We'll take a break and be right back. show. So glad to have Dawson Muska on the show for the first time. He's the outreach coordinator at King of Glory Church in Sioux Falls. And he is uh, married to his beautiful wife, Danielle, and he's got three kids. And you'll never guess the names of their children, uh, because where did these names come from? Jonah, Ezra, Gideon. In addition to being uh, um, a man who loves Jesus, he's also co-creator of uh, Mark and Karen's grandkids, which they seem to adore. Dawson, welcome to the show. <laughs> well, thanks, Bill. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and I assume uh, Danielle's parents, too. They're pretty nuts about the kids, right? Oh, they just, well, it's one of the reasons why we're down here in Sioux Falls is that uh, Danielle, you know, is a Lincoln High School alum and born and born and raised here, and uh, her, her parents are uh, definitely more thrilled than mine that we're, uh, that we're down here close to them, so. <laughs> well, I love the names. I love Jonah. Ezra Gideon. So maybe if you have one more kid, maybe name him Larry or something. Just to well, if we ever if we ever get to Habakkuk, it's going to be we've had too many kids. At that point. So, uh, we can't. We got to cut it off before we get to Habakkuk. So <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. So your dad, who's regularly on the show, uh, I'm just curious as to what he's like when he's around the grandkids. Does he do all kinds of uh, goofy things and make funny funny voices and all that? You know, I all all I will say on that is that, you know, his students who are, you know, his freshman students who probably have a good deal of fear around him come <laughs> test time, they would not recognize the man around his grandkids. He's got a rubber face and he makes some of the silliest, you know, faces at the six month old Gideon especially just loves him because he's just got that uh, the rubber, the rubber face with all the all the different expressions. So uh, he'd be much less intimidating if you saw him around around my kids. Yeah, and uses lots of crazy, funny voices and all that as well. You know, yeah, you know, the voices, I would say he's more of a sound effects guy. Okay. Honestly, you know, he does, you know, a lot of truck noises and, <laughs> just, you know, general gibberish. I mean, I can't really put my finger on it. There are things that it's like, I just, I never saw, you know, I, I'm sure he did it when I was a baby too. I just never saw that side of him in my memory, you know, and to see him act that way, you know, it, it, it does, it, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, uh, his his respectability might go down a little bit, but his you know he he's definitely more amicable you know when, yeah you know, when he's around the grandkids. So. Well, I had to ask that. I knew that would make me smile, and so I appreciate you right. Uh, right. you giving me the dirt on that. So oh, uh, yeah. talk about uh, what's going on in your ministry right now, and uh, just uh, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, just what you're doing in Sioux Falls. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, as, as with everyone, it's, it's just completely different, you know, than, than it was a month ago, just with all this, you know, COVID stuff going around. Um, basically the, the present for me right now, um, you know, Sioux Falls is a really cool town, uh, Bill. And, uh, you know, we, uh, the church that I work for, um, we've, we've, we're part of a coalition um, with, I think we have at least 40 other churches that, that are a part of this. It's called Corona Help. Sioux Falls. And so just about all of my hours at the church are going towards just COVID response, um, getting, you know, supplies to people um, who, who need them. And it's just been a phenomenal coordinating of, of churches um, down, down here in Sioux Falls. And I think it's really been just a, a phenomenal testimony to, to the community to see um, how well, you know, the church capital C in, in Sioux Falls is, uh, is meeting, you know, everything that's, that's happening. So that's the present, um, you know, before all this COVID stuff hit, um, you know, I was basically just in charge of anything outside the walls of, of King of Glory. We have, uh, love teams that are basically just volunteer groups that we would send out in the community. And we had five community partners. And, and I, I basically was just coordinating between, you know, we were, um, we have folks at, you know, a nursing home in town and we do mentoring at one of the local elementary schools and and so just making sure that the relationship between the church and the, and the organizations we work with is good and, and just finding the right volunteers to, to plug into to various opportunities. So that's the, the main thrust of, of, of what I'm doing over there. You know, it's interesting, Dawson, because I sent you a list of a couple of ideas and I said, but I'm real curious as to what you've been thinking about lately, because, you know, this is our first time on the air and I first just want to get to know you and tell you how fond I am of you already. Um, but also I gave you some uh, leeway and you said, well, here are a couple of things I've been thinking about lately. And, and here, here they are finding peace in uncertain times. What does authentic relationship look like healing from bitterness and pursuing humility? And guess which one I picked? I picked healing from bitterness. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't know why I picked that one. No, that's, that's okay. You know, it's, it's something that, you know, I think that, um, you know, bitterness is such a legacy thing, you know, that, that when you see bitterness, it's, it's usually not just, you know, one individual within a family who, who struggles with bitterness, you know, you look at families as a whole, and, you know, you just see that there's a lack of cohesion, and that there are just, you know, 25 year old hatchets that, that never got buried. Mm. And, um, and, and so, you know, I, I kind of lock in on that one as, you know, a root issue for, you know, so many other, I would call like surface issues, you know, you get down to the root of it and it's like, well, gosh, there's just a, a lot of bitterness festering in, in, in this relationship. So that's, that's something that, you know, and, and even I, looking at myself, you know, you, you, you think about the things that you're prone to. And, um, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, Bill, I mean, me at my worst self, you know, I'm, I'm someone who holds a grudge. I'm, I'm someone who, who struggles in this area. And so, um, so I, I need to kind of keep it front of mind, um, you know, for my own sake, as, as well as, you know, helping other people. So, um, so that's, that's why I thought of it. Yeah. Um, Dawson, how do feelings and emotions sort of sink and creep down into the, the root where all of a sudden you go, uh oh, there's bitterness there now. And it's a yeah. root. How does that yeah, happen? Yeah, you know, you know, I I can only speak for my I can only speak for myself. But, sure. You know, I I think what makes bitterness so tricky 
is that especially with, you know, our Midwest, you know, you call it Minnesota nice up there down in South Dakota, we call it Midwest nice. Um, you know, that, that you think you're doing someone a service by not addressing conflict. Mm. Um, you, you almost have this attitude of, well, I'm going to take the high road and I'm going to be the better person. And what, what ends up happening is, you know, you, you start to get into a pattern with someone where, you know, there's been wrong done and, and you thinking that you're doing that person a service by not addressing it or that you're being the bigger man or, you know, however you want to, you want to phrase it. Um, you, you just, you, you try to, you know, take it on yourself and, you know, months, weeks, years later, um, you find that, oh my goodness, like I actually don't really even care to be around this person anymore. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and it just, it, it almost sneaks up on you, you know, where it's like, you, you don't even realize you're bitter until you're up to your eyeballs in it, you know? Well, oh. it's a lot of wisdom, Dawson. And I think I'll trace it back to what you said earlier. It might be part of a, a legacy almost. It, it could have been, this bitterness could have been something you observed as a younger kid and you saw right. how it worked, you know, talking about the a conflict and you don't like that. So, um, right. Yeah, you can start witnessing right. that at a young age. Absolutely. Well, and even just the things, you know, and I, I know that, you know, everyone, you know, at, or not everyone, but a good portion of folks in the listening audience, you know, know my dad from from being on the radio and, you know, know my family a little bit by by extension. But even just the things that you, un, like you said, unconsciously pick up as a kid, you know, my my parents aren't perfect. My dad's never come on the radio and made that claim. Um, and, and, you know, even just like, you know, identifying things that you've grown comfortable with growing up that, you know, as an adult, you look back and it's like, oh, that, that maybe wasn't the healthiest way to, to deal with that situation, or that probably could have been handled better, you know, just, just basic, you know, basic things like that. I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, but, uh, but I think what, what separates bitterness from other, you know, sins, other things that, that people struggle with is that it's it's very hard to identify it within yourself and yet it's so easy to see it in somebody else. I mean, I'm sure anybody could could think of someone who they would consider to be a bitter person, whether it's a relative or, you know, an acquaintance. It it's almost like you can smell it on people when when they're bitter, but then it takes quite a bit of intentional self-reflection to come to the realization that you yourself might be experiencing bitterness, if, if that makes sense. It makes a ton of sense. Um, and I want to explore that a little bit more after the break, uh, Dawson. And I also want to, when we come back, want to talk about steps that we can take towards healing from bitterness, right. because that's, uh, I think that's pretty important. Uh, Dawson Absolutely. Muska is my guest. He's a pastor over at King of Glory in Sioux Falls. We'll be right back. show. Dawson Muska is my guest. He is an outreach coordinator at King of Glory Church in Sioux Falls. Also happens to be the son of Dr. Mark Muska, who is a regular guest and friend of mine. So uh, Dawson, (laughs) let's talk about this healing from bitterness because we're all recognizing that we probably have some. And like you said, right before the break, it's kind of easy to pick out in somebody else. Right. So what? Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk Um, about these healing steps. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, we, we alluded to it earlier. And, you know, I, I think that whenever you're trying to, to, to solve something, and just so you know, too, I think there's a practical component to this, and there's a there's a spiritual. So I'm, I'm going to start with the with the practical component. And that's, you know, finding the root of, of, you know, these, these feelings of bitterness. And, you know, at least in my own life, um, I've found that, far often than not, you know, when, when I'm experiencing feelings of bitterness, there's, there's a pretty big um, pride root in that, you know, I find myself saying things like, well, I would never act that way, or I'm not in the wrong here, or they need to come to me first, you know, kind of putting yourself above the person that, that you're, that you're feeling these feelings towards. Mm-hmm. And um, the, you almost have to flip those statements on, on their head. And, and, you know, if I, if I'm being perfectly honest, Bill, you know, I, I would potentially act that way. And I am capable of, of acting, you know, however that person is acting towards me, I'm perfectly capable of acting that way towards them. And I very well might be in the wrong. And, you know, maybe I am the one that needs to take the first step and, and reach out. Maybe I've done something wrong that I need to apologize for. Um, so that, you know, just that, that knowledge of, you know, our own pride, I think is, is a first, you know, I, I, it's been said before that awareness is 90% of the battle, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I think <laughs> that that can, that can prove, that can prove true. Um, but then, you know, transitioning over to the, to the spiritual component of this, you know, just, just recognizing that um, no one's situation is irreconcilable. You know, if you're if you're experiencing bitterness towards someone, I think that you want to to take this stance of, well, the relationship's too far gone, or you know, things have happened that that you know that that can't be that can't be healed. You know, and you want to take this firm stance that that it that it's irreconcilable. And what what I think of is, you know, the story I always think of is, you know, if, if you're familiar with the story of Corey Tinboom, you know, she was a Holocaust survivor. And, you know, she at one point in her life had the chance to forgive the guard who guarded her at, you know, the Nazi concentration camp that she was imprisoned in. And I think to myself, well, if Corey Tinboom, you know, was able to forgive this, this, uh, this SS guard who was guarding her, um, you know, I, I don't think anything in my, you know, framework of experience can even come close to, to that situation, you know, and mm-hmm. so, you know, my, uh, my, my disagreement with my sister, you know, can't, can't compare yeah. to, to that, you know, and, and so, you know, just, just recognizing that, that your situation isn't, isn't irreconcilable. No one's situation is irreconcilable. And the, the scripture that I'm just drawn to is, you know, is James four, six, where, you know, basically says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace um, to, to the humble. And, um, you know, so finding that, that humility to, you know, see that maybe there is something that I did wrong in this situation, or, you know, maybe I do need to be the one to, you know, bring myself down and, and, and reach out. And, and ultimately, I think what I'm driving at is if there's, you know, festering bitterness in in your life, um, you know, the first question I would ask is like, how long has it been since you've had contact with that person? And for a lot of people, it's been years. And, and so the first step to healing is, is just, you know, practically reaching out. Um, but then also just, you know, trusting that God's going to honor that action, whether or not there's actual reconciliation, he's going to heal the bitterness inside of you. If you, you know, if you humble yourself and, and, and reach out to the person who you have conflict Mm -hmm. with. A courageous first step. I always think of the word bitter and I I think of words like poisonous and venomous. And I think of how severe it is. And then I, I kind of drift towards, um, the passage that says that we have to get rid of all bitterness and rage and 
anger and brawling and slander and every form of malice. And I think right. the answer might be, Dawson, of course, you're the expert, not me. Uh, in Ephesians 4, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, uh, God forgave you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and the beautiful thing about forgiveness, too, is that it doesn't have to be reciprocated. If you're able to extend, you know, a lot of people, you know, and that's the thing with bitterness is that, you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, and I, I guess I shouldn't say you're trying to, but, but so often you, you have these feelings that you're harboring and you think you're projecting this malice towards this person that you're, that you're feeling bitterness towards when in reality, the person you're feeling bitter towards might not even know, you know, that you're, you're, you know, poisoning yourself, you're damaging yourself. And, you know, the person who you're feeling bitterness towards, like, like a lot of times, you know, the, there, there's dialogue when that, when that dialogue actually starts, you know, the other person's like, well, why didn't you just tell me you were feeling this way? You know, they had no idea. And, um, and so, you know, the beautiful thing about forgiveness is that if you extend forgiveness to the person you're feeling bitter towards, even if that isn't reciprocated, you know, you still can be healed um, from, from the bitterness that, that, that you're feeling. So forgiveness, I think is, is absolutely a, a key word there. You, you hit it on the head. Mm-hmm. Can you be bitter uh, towards God? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's one of the hard ones because, um, or one of it, I think that's the hard one. Um, because ultimately, uh, you know, we, we look at our circumstances and as people of faith, or if you were raised in a, a, a family that, that went to church, and, you know, I mean, the, the reality is, Bill, that things, horrible things happen, you know, every, every day. I mean, we're experiencing that to some degree with this, with this COVID, you know, pandemic that's, that's coming through is that people are getting sick, people are being hospitalized. And, you know, ultimately, if you go up the chain of command, I mean, who has ultimate authority over those situations? And if you're a believer, I mean, the, the answer has to be God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and so, you know, I, I, that, that's, it's absolutely possible. And, um, you know, ultimately, it's, it's something that, I mean, it's, it's hard to make a blanket statement covering all of those, you know, specific hurts that people, you know, blame or, or attribute to God. But, um, but absolutely, that that is that is a reality for for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And if you continue down the bitterness road, uh, there will be horrible uh, side effects throughout your life. So it is something that you have to address as early as today. Right, right. And I would say sooner rather than later, you know, because I, I think that, you know, bitterness is like cement. Um, the the wetter it is, the 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 more malleable. You know, it it's it, it you can change your situation um if you address it. The earlier you address it, the easier it is to change. Now that's not to say that, you know, if it's been years or even decades that you can't address that bitterness, but it might take a jackhammer. You know, it's not going to be an easy thing of just wading into it and and figuring it out. You know, once that cement hardens, it's a much more involved process to uh, to engage and and ultimately, you know, heal from from that from that bitterness. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, you, it, it's something that should, you know, honestly, it's something that should be done yesterday. Um, but, but there's no, there's no day, there's no day like today to, to take a first step towards, um, towards, you know, reaching out to, to someone that you're feeling that you're feeling bitterness towards. And, and honestly, Bill too, I mean, it's, it's such a step of faith, um, because, you know, in, in the times of my life that I've, that I've experienced significant bitterness, you know, you almost reach out because you're supposed to, 
And it's like, well, gosh, I don't know what good it's going to do, but I suppose I'll reach out. And honestly, Bill, like some of the most powerful things that have happened in my personal faith life have been more or less the result of how the Holy Spirit has worked through, you know, just, you know, almost like a Hail Mary type of situation. <laughs> I guess I'll give it a try. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. and just some of the coolest things have happened. Um, you know, when you just put that faith in God, where it's like, I don't see how this is going to get done, but I'm going to be faithful and, and try and reconcile this. Um, so. Well, I know yeah. God, God wants us to live in love and joy and peace and, but, and not in bitterness. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, no, absolutely. Yeah. Dawson, I have just so enjoyed having you come on the show and love to have you back. Um, it was uh, not that long ago. Uh, it was my birthday, and on my birthday show, your dad was uh, my first guest, and your mom shows up that day and delivers four cupcakes to me. Oh and I just fa- for you, just for me, and I found out that it is in fact possible to eat four cupcakes in seventeen minutes. Well, there, you know, that is. I mean, that that might. That I don't think that would be a personal record for me, honestly. <laughs> but uh, but it might be. I haven't actually put myself on the timer before. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, Let's have you back. Absolutely, absolutely, Bill. Thanks for having me. I'd love to come back anytime. That'd be great. Dawson Muska has been my guest. He's the outreach uh, pastor at King of Glory Church in Sioux Falls. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to have Rebecca Ree as my guest. Can't wait. back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Rebecca Rebeck on the program. She's an author and a blogger. She lives out east and grew up in Puerto Rico. She was the daughter of missionaries. She did her undergrad at Yale and then studied Hebrew at Yale Divinity School and got her master's in art and religion, her PhD in religion and literature at Boston University. <sighs> now I gotta take a break. That's a big introduction. Anyway, she's back with me today. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you for having me again. It's so good to be back. You are such a gift to my listeners because they, they love you, as do Rebecca and I here in the studio, because you uh, are such a brilliant storyteller. And I love your blog, and I recommend it all the time to people. And I'm glad when you come on because we get to hear what's next. Yep. Well, my again, I can't be happier to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And I know you've got um, a 7-year-old son who has autism. And I came across this great line uh, by this gentleman named Kerry Magro, who's a award-winning speaker. And he said, a person with autism is not misbehaving or choosing to be difficult. They just react to certain things differently. Be patient and kind always. Yes. And you made a nice comment prior to the show saying that applies to everybody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I love. That is, that is the Jesus way. Yeah. 
So um, let's talk about uh, your latest piece. Okay, so um, the latest post that I put up is called Bed, bed Sheet Slash Sock. Um, and it's because the two objects that I am meditating on are both a bed sheet and a sock. Um, before, but before getting specific about those two things, I just wanted to back up and say, uh, maybe describe a little bit what life is like in a special needs family situation during the COVID uh, lockdown. Yes, please. Um, I think it's hard for families across the board uh, to be cooped up and um, deprived of their usual uh, routines. But for kids with autism who rely so heavily on structure, routine, and all kinds of professional services that they get at school, it's especially uh, world unraveling, if I could say it that way. Um, So uh, I think mid-March was my son's last day at school. And overnight, everything that made his life his life got yanked. Uh, That's speech, occupational, music therapy. Um, On the weekends, he had special swim lessons. He had a special needs Sunday school. Everything completely, you know, like like a house of cards just fell apart. And because he has very limited language, there was really no way for me to explain to him why his world was completely destroyed. Um, And so he's basically trying to – I can't imagine what's going on in his head. He's basically trying to cope day to day when he – the structures and the bones of his world aren't there um, to keep – you know, to hold him up and help him move. So he's been acting out more and having more meltdowns and, um, you know, uh, just responding in ways that uh, I can understand and are, and are completely understandable. He's not trying to be difficult, as that gentleman had said in the quote, but it is also, from the parent point of view, it's also very difficult to continually deal with these um, these negative responses and these meltdowns because they're coming so hard and fast now because uh, the longer this goes on. So... Um, there was something that I noticed in the midst of this uh, maelstrom, and that is, as I've been watching my son very closely, I realized um, during this pandemic that I'm, I've been given a front row seat to the drama that is our human condition before God. And let me say that again, is I watch my autistic son uh, respond and react to the total upending of his world. I've been given a front row seat to, to our human condition before God. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, sooner or later, uh, we're going to we're gonna confront a, a crisis or a problem. And if we're left to our own devices, uh, we react in many of the same ways that he's reacting. We can become destructive. We can become um, over-controlling. Right now, he tries to control every little thing that he could possibly control, where his toys are, how his meal comes, little things like that. Um, so we can become overly controlling of the things around us. We can actually start becoming dependent on harmful things just to, to get through his day or get through our own day. So um, we can start uh, isolating from other people and from God. And we, we may even become so agitated and anxious that it's hard to find any rest. So it's this sort of vicious circle of responses if we're left to our own devices. And I think worst of all, if we're stuck in this position for a long time, um, we stop trusting that good will ever return to our lives. And Mm -hmm. we stop believing that there's any way for things to get better. 
so in that sense, we're not so far off from my son. Um, when we're stuck in these um, extreme situations, we can respond like an autistic child. Yeah. So then the question becomes, well, what do we do when that happens? What's really going to help um, if we all find ourselves there? And so the answer to that question, um, I want to say, is, is, is a story. And I'd like to tell the story. And it's about a bed sheet and a sock. So I want to put before you an image of my son's bed. And um, his bed isn't made up in the traditional way. He has a fitted sheet over it that goes down, like most people have a fitted sheet on the bottom of their bed. And then he's got what's called a compression sock. It's like a sock that goes over a foot, only it's a very large sock that goes, it gets pulled up over the top of his bed mattress. So I hope the readers can sort of visualize that. And he sort of slips into it, um, almost like if the mattress were in an envelope and he slips into it. And many people, uh, individuals with autism, like that compression, like that um, sensory pressure against their bodies. It helps them to, to sleep and rest. So that's how his bed has been made up. So um, that was fine and, fine and dandy. He was used to sleeping that way. But three or four m months into this lockdown, I would go into his room in the morning, and his bed was destroyed. And the, he kept pulling the bottom fitted sheet off. And because of this compression sock, it was very hard to fit it back on in the morning. So I was having quite the mess to clean up every morning, um, trying to you know wrestle this bed back into shape. So I thought to myself, I'm going to scrap this whole thing, and I'm going to make up his bed in the quote-unquote normal way. I'm going to put a fitted sheet on the bottom. I'm going to get a flat sheet, put that on top of that, and then I'm going to put a comforter. So I went downstairs in my basement. I found my a box of you know linen. I found my grandmother's sheet, a bed sheet that she had had in her home. I washed it. I brought it upstairs, put the bed together like I envisioned it, and in my head, I have these like little fairy tale notions of my son sleeping blissfully in this new <laughs> new arrangement, uh -huh. and and me walking in in the morning and like in two seconds flat making up the bed and it's all you know flowing smoothly. Well, of course, um, that's not what happened. So the first night as um, we went into the bed with the new with the new went to bed with the new arrangement, uh, my son immediately notices the difference. He doesn't nothing gets past him. And in about 30 seconds flat, he's completely destroyed everything. He's just pulled everything apart. It's become this little rat's nest, and he's wrangling the sheets back and forth. And I'm sitting on a little stool in front of the bed. And as I'm watching it, him do this, something inside of me just crumples. It just, I just want to start weeping. And um, it was quite a strong reaction to, you're like, well, he just pulled his bed sheets off. How serious is that? But I thought, I have to pay attention to that. And I realized that the reason I wanted to weep, it, it was because it was yet one more example of how my kid does not respond to things in, quote, unquote, the normal way. Mm -hmm. And it was one more example of me trying and failing to interact with him as I might interact with a neurotypical child. So um, you'd think after all these years of raising him, I'd sort of have a better idea to train myself out of putting my, these expectations up, but something inside of us always kind of hopes for the ideal thing. And we, I, something in me is, keeps preparing things for a, chi a child that would uh, react to them in a typical way. Um, so, you know, my, my hopes were dashed. This was a new beginning, Rebecca. <laughs> Wasn't it? Wait, it this was going to be a new uh, beginning. 
But, well, you know what? It, it certainly grabbed my attention, so that's a, that would be a vote in that direction. Right. So, but one, one thing that it did do for me was this. It got me thinking about the fact that, you know, I was slamming, slamming up against my son's autism yet again. Yeah. And I thought during this, hard, uh, this, this pandemic, there are some, also some hard truths that other people are slamming up against yet again and again. And, you know, they're, maybe they're making and remaking beds that immediately get destroyed despite, despite their best efforts. And um, they're putting plans in place that come to nothing. So maybe an example would be, you know, you, you wait in a food line for a long time and it runs out and you're sent home or you're applying for financial assistance online and your application gets denied or you're trying to oversee your kids remote learning and that's not working. You're trying to work from home. Everything's getting frustrated. Um, and maybe even the most serious scenario, you're trying everything in your in your power to save a patient and they don't make it. Um, and you, so you've invested so much in getting things to work out right that you're completely devastated when it falls apart anyway. So then, you know, I think what usually happens to human beings is you start to vacillate between either going numb because you just can't take in anymore or obsessing over these scenarios kind of like thinking, what can I do the next time? What's the key to this puzzle? What can I do differently the next time to get the upper hand of these, you know, uh, un, uh, unwieldy situations? And of course, we never really do get the upper hand, but that doesn't mean we don't obsess about it. Right. Um, so, you know, I was kind of vacillating myself between these two poles, but, you know, life goes on and we have to move on to the next thing, whether we like it or not. And so not long after the Fed sheet, you know, debacle happened, my next thing was I was hunting for a pair of gym socks in my husband's uh, sock drawer. And I found a pair, you know, you, you kind of, when you fold laundry, you kind of bundle them up in pairs of twos. And I picked one out. And as I did that, something fell on the floor and I looked at it. And lo and behold, it was one of my socks from my sock drawer that I had been looking for for a while. It had been missing, but it had somehow, you know, gotten mislaid here. And there it was. It dropped right at my feet. And so I picked it up and I reunited it with its little mate in my drawer. And as I did, I just paused for the briefest and maybe what you call the holiest of those moments when, you know, you just take a breath. And I heard like kind of a voice in my head saying, God keeps track of everything. And in that moment, you know, two things lined up next to each other. One was the bed sheet on one side and one was the sock on the other. Suddenly there was a connection between these two things. And while when you look at the bedsheet side, autism may have been saying, you know, there's nothing but bitter disappointment up for you ahead. There's nothing but endless frustration. You're always going to try to put stuff together for him that's going to fall apart. I think what God was saying by just sort of giving me this little piece of the puzzle that I'd been missing, and here he handed it back to me in an unexpected way. I felt like God was saying, I know, you know, I'm here with you. I keep track of it all, and my plans for you don't fall apart. And so what I find remarkable about that sock, um, however small it may be, is that it offered me two very bright points of light in a very dark time. All right. and, Rebecca, I think that might ahead. be a nice place to take a pause, and when we come back, we'll talk about those two points. Does that sound fair? Okay. Sounds fair. Terrific. Dr. Rebecca Ree is my guest. You can head over to RebeccaRee.net to sign up to be on her blog, which I encourage you to do. 
and her last name is spelled R-H-E-E. So RebeccaRee.net. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back. So glad to have Dr. Rebecca Rhee as my guest. She uh, comes on the show regularly, and she blogs at her website, of, which is RebeccaRhee.net. And you will love her blogs. So if you've uh, been there, you know how wonderful they are. And so right now we're um, chatting about one of her most current ones, and it's called uh, A Bedsheet and a Sock. Um, and we're just getting to the point where we're learning a couple of pretty important lessons. Right before we went to break, Rebecca, you said there are two things, and I can't wait to hear them. Okay, so when I found that sock, it gave me two points of light in a dark time. And the first point of light was that it showed me that God is always looking for an opportunity to answer me in my distress, uh, and that he may speak to me in an entirely different context than the one in which my discouragement happened. So my, my, you know, my inside crumpling happened when I was you know, putting my son to bed. And he actually ended up talking to me while I was, you know, fooling around with the laundry. <laughs> um, that, but he, again, he keeps track. He's, sometimes we kind of throw up a prayer or we don't even throw up the prayer. We just feel a strong emotion and we move on with our, you know, with, with whatever we're contending with. But he, he, he almost like puts a bookmark there and he's looking for a place and a context in which he can actually respond to that. And he knows the the most perfect context and what's going to have the most impact. And in this case, he wanted to get me to step away from all the drama of the autism and and the the pandemic and speak to me in my little walk-in closet there. And so I could hear that still small voice and and telling me that he keeps track of everything. So there's something really comforting about knowing that God is always thinking about my problems. God's always putting that little bookmark, even when I've become too tired and discouraged to think about them anymore. And I've sort of given up hope, not consciously, but kind of unconsciously given up hope about getting any kind of response from him about it. Um, so maybe when you don't get an answer right away to your prayers, and especially your, your more desperate prayers right now, it may be because God is picking his moment not that he's ignoring you. He's waiting for you to go hunt through your own drawer. Of stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, he's trying to time it when that still small voice is going to have the greatest impact for you. And your, your poor heart is going to be able to absorb it. Because I think when I was sitting in front of my son's bed wanting to weep, my heart was not very absorbent in that moment. So I just want to encourage people that, again, if you don't feel like your prayers are getting answered in in that one context, in that one moment, just think it's not that God's ignoring you. He's never ignoring you. He's always looking for that perfect opportunity that will have the most impact on your heart. So that was the first point of light that the, the sock offered me. And then the second point of light was, you know, there's a lot of talk out there in popular culture, and I don't want to put it down, but um, there's a lot of talk about there in popular country, culture about learning to surrender when things get tough. You know, it's kind of like just take a deep breath, let go of the things that are no longer serving you, and, you know, you'll be fine. And I think as a coping mechanism, that kind of practice is is just fine. In fact, it's great. Most More of us should, you know, learn to um, stop, take a breath, and try to let go of the things that are really uh, uh, 
agitating us. But in the long run, if you're talking about um, sort of fundamental, you know, the, the fundamental building blocks of your soul, we need something more than that. And in the long run, you can only truly surrender your situation when you know whom you're surrendering it to. There has to be a person on the other end of that surrender, not just the act of surrender. Um, and to put it another way, it's like, it would be a lot easier to release your retirement funds, let's say, everything you've ever saved up your whole life, if you know who's taking charge of the account, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's as simple as that. So there was a poet um, centuries and perhaps even millennia ago um, in the Bible that says it more beautiful. He, he or she wrote, my times are in your hands. Maybe you've heard that um, verse before. And if you go ahead and read that psalm, it's from Psalm 31, and I highly recommend that it get you read that psalm during this time. If you go through it, you hear that the poet is really wrestling through giving his struggles over to God. Um, he's really wrestling through that um, surrender. And in one ver- verse, he's hollering for help. And in the next verse, he's saying hallelujah, sort of in advance of his rescue, thinking hallelujah, because I know you're going to do this for me. I may not see it yet, but I know you're going to do this for me. So he goes back and forth between these two poles of, you know, help me and hallelujah. And whatever he's dealing with, I'm not sure what it is. It seemed to me that it was on the same level of seriousness as a developmental disorder or a deadly virus. You know, he is fighting tooth and nail towards God. Um, And he has this conception of God who keeps track of his past, present, and future, all of his times. And that's a beautiful uh, psalm to go through and to see that, um, that that, uh, back and forth and that that determination to turn that over, to have that surrender with God. But I want to mention something else about that psalm that I found absolutely remarkable, which is this, that of all the things Jesus could have said when he breathed his last breath on the cross, he chooses to quote from this exact psalm, this surrender psalm. He says what, you know, we all know, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And that, those very words appear just a little further down after the, the poet writes, my times are in your hands. So Jesus himself recognized when he had reached his absolute limit and needed his father to take over. Um, you know, again, he's not just surrendering, like for the act for the sake of surrendering, he's surrendering his life and all that he's about to his father. There's a, a definite person on the other end of that. Um, and his prayer reminds us that when we've reached our limit, we're not surrendering our times into a black hole. You know, rather we are placing all that we are, all that we hope for, you know, very thoughtfully, very carefully, and sometimes very desperately into the hands of our creator. And we are trusting him to create something really, really good out of what we've relinquished. Um, So, and I wanted to, you know, I saw that I was like, you know, if Jesus needed to do this, then I have permission to do it too. And if, if for Jesus, it too was a process of getting there, then that is, you know, there for me too. That's okay for me to to wrestle through that too. But I can trust the same father that Jesus trusted when he, when his time came to surrender. Um, So I just want to encourage anyone out there, um, Bill, any of your listeners that, 
you know, anyone who's reached their absolute limit as Jesus did, that if you can't make one more bed and watch it come undone, you know, if you look inside your soul and there are no hallelujahs in that gas tank, there's only help, 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 you know, only pleas for help. And maybe not even that if you're too tired, that, you know, maybe it's time to consider that um, you need a, a source outside of yourself where you can go and start that process of surrender and get help, um, you know, and, and to recognize that it is a process. It might take lots of little parts. You know, it might start with you just journaling and it might start with you praying specifically yourself about it, then maybe going to somebody else and praying with that person or talking to a friend or a minister or even a professional. But that, that that's something we need to seriously consider as part of being humans made in the image of God that that is what Jesus did. He had his people around him. He had his father before him. And that's what we need to. Um, so, you know, just to say, remember, it's not your job to make it all come out right in the end. It's your job to remember that it's God's. Do what you can to turn things over to him. That's such a such an important point, Rebecca. And, and I, when you speak, I sometimes think of Proverbs 25, 11, uh, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. You have a way of putting stuff in context. What you said is so important, and yet the image that you put in my mind, I now know I will never get out. <laughs> well, and if I might add one more thing, and it's, it's, a difficult, it, it's a difficult thing, but I think it's always good for us as Christians as we're trying to mature to put those gold posts ahead of us and say, you know, I want to mature to that place, which is, um, I think we're in the best place when we've laid out that effort, you know, when we've put that investment down or we've, and it could be a very good and proper thing that we're doing. I'm not saying, you know, we're trying to be controlling. I'm saying you've put forth that effort, whatever it is that you need to do. If you can somehow try to begin the process surrender there, like let go of the outcome or the result of that effort and give that to God instead of always trying to track what's going to happen and control how that outcome is going to be. Um, and, you know, just to prove a point, in the end, the bed sheet that I put on my son's bed did end up help he, helping him from destroying the bed every morning. He just balls it up in this little ball and he puts it by his head. And that's how he decided to use the bed sheet. So, you know, I didn't I can't control that outcome. But God, I certainly ended up blessing it in a, in a way I couldn't have envisioned. So that's something to think about, too, just letting letting go of what that result's going to look like even as we're, like, um, making the effort. And I love this line in your blog, uh, maybe keep a back door open and a porch light on at all times for a hand to help you and a voice to reach you because the intervention you are seeking may come in a totally different context than the one in which you've been struggling. Yes, that still small voice, we never know when it's going to appear. Yeah, but when it does connect to you, it's God's perfect timing, and the effect on you is pretty profound, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. And then then we're able to share that little light with somebody else. Yeah. Rebecca, it's always so nice to have you on the show. I look forward every time you come on because I learn so much, and your your words and your images really stick with me, and I know it does the listeners as well. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Rebecca Rhea has been my guest. You can head over to her website, RebeccaRhea.net. And her last name is spelled R-H-E-E, so RebeccaRee.net. You can get on her mailing list all for free, and she'll send you the most current blog uh, sent right to your email. As a matter of fact, she's got uh, her newest blog coming out uh, 
any day now, like within the next day or two. So you'll want to get a you'll want to get that as well. I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you missed any, you can head to myfaithradio.com. Check it out. Have a great night, everyone. God bless. I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.